Hello and welcome to The Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and my guest today is someone I've been dying to talk to, awesome human being. Her podcast is is, is wonderful to listen to, but like it gives me, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called The Souls World Podcast. Genius Ho, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored and it's always kind of interesting to be on this side of the of the hot seat, you know, like actually in the hot seat. So yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess first of all, let's just de- uh, let's dive right into the podcast itself. Why mm-hmm. did you start it and mm-hmm. how are you, like there are some things you say that are like... <laughs> 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 Yes, there's a lot of vulnerability on that podcast for sure. But I mean, I guess that's part of the reason why I started it, which was back in uh, 2018, um, because, you know, I talk a lot about some things that are pretty uncomfortable, whether it's about uh, trauma or alcohol dependency, the kinds of challenging things we go through in relationships, sex, intimacy, all of this kind of thing. And I wanted to speak on these things, particularly to add one more Asian voice to the mix, because especially at that time, I feel that there wasn't as many voices from whether it's Asian Canadians or Asian Americans or whoever, but it was quite dominated by, let me just say, like majority white folks, I would say, in like the sort of self-development or wellness sphere. And I just wanted to see a little bit more representation. And so it was me just trying to add one more voice, you know, however big or small the impact might be, but just to show, oh, I have something important to say too. And I know that for me growing up, when I was going through a lot of these challenges, mental health challenges, what have you, relationship challenges, that I would have wanted to see more people who look like me speaking out about it. Like it really Mm -hmm. does make a difference to hear it from somebody who looks a little bit more like you and who has maybe certain cultural upbringings that add nuance to the conversation. So yeah, you know what I mean. So <laughs> that was uh, that was the starting motivation for it. Mm. And like, okay, so one thing I've learned over the years is there is this gap and it might be short or it might be super wide between, oh my God, this sounds like a great idea versus doing it. How wide was your gap? And then <laughs> what was the process to bridge that gap for you? Yeah, I think once I get an idea into my head, I will execute it, whether that's like going to travel somewhere or doing a project like this. Now, mind you, I have so many creative projects that sometimes I don't end up doing all of the things that I want to do. As you know, I, you know, I love to sing. I love to write. Like there's so many things. But with the podcast, somehow the seed got planted in me. And then I just started thinking about it more, thinking about episodes, researching you know, platforms, how do I do this thing? And I just had so much passion for it and Mm. all of this sort of like creativity and ideas that had been accumulating. And I was actually doing the work of planning it out, looking online, searching for tips and that kind of thing that it just ended up, you know, happening. And I, Mm. I do think I'm a planner. So when I have a vision, then I can kind of put it onto paper and I, you know, had a schedule. I had, here's a list of episodes I want to do. So I think if anybody is, you know, really passionate or excited about starting a podcast, it's like, take that big vision and 
actually work through the steps of how to execute it. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> what were the steps for you, though? I'm sorry? For you, what were those steps? Uh, yeah, I think um, there's so much good information online now um, for people who want to start a podcast, whether that's like, what platform should I do it on? What kind of mic should I get? What are some um, tips for doing great interviews if you're going to have guests on? How to create good audio, edit the editing process, and then also just planning out, like, what do you want to talk about? What is going to, like, really motivate you and get you excited and interested? Because at the end of the day, you might not get a lot of listeners or it might take a while to build a following. So are you excited, no matter how many people are listening in, to just have you know, a conversation about it, to be spending your time, because it's a lot of time to, <laughs> you're nodding like you know, right? <laughs> like, most of us starting out don't have a team. And, you know, especially the editing process takes a long time. So to do it well, it does take a lot of work. And to, I think, really follow through on it, you know, week after week or month after month. Um, yeah, you got to be talking about something that you really love. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. One thing that stood out for me with the soul's work is that you do it seasonally. How do you decide, okay, this is what season one is going to be about. Yeah. This is how many episodes it's going to have. This is when I'll stop. This is the gap, all that. Well, for season one, it was planned out quite a lot um, more, I would say, in, or in an organized way where I was like, okay, I'm going to run it for this many months. I'm going to be very consistent about it and have these guests, et cetera, et cetera. I actually ended up taking a two-year hiatus after season one because I was really heavy into a lot of therapy work, learning about trauma, and there was so much coming up for me that sometimes me deciding to take that break is more just based on what's happening in my own life, whether I feel I have the capacity to keep going whether I feel it's a time to, you know, share less about the work and just do the work. So, you know, I think especially now, even though as somebody who has a marketing background and knows how important consistency is and, you know, getting out a podcast, I really prioritize my self-care and mental health and all these things first and foremost so that if it means that I have a shorter season, if it means I'm taking even months off between seasons, then I will do that for myself because, hey, mm. I'm not getting paid for this, right? But <laughs> yeah, so I, now I'm really just following my intuition in terms of, okay, this is the right time for me to stop. And mm. I'll come back to mm. it when I have the capacity to, you know, as I just said, put in this enormous amount of work to creating a great season. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I know that makes okay now the the you have I mean you have episodes where it's just you talking and I think those are the ones where you share like really, really heavy <laughs> things. I'll get to that later. Um let's mm -hmm. start with your guest. How do you pick your guest? Because two that really stood out for me was a professor that talked about sex. And then there was this guy that talked about trauma in a way that most at least most guys wouldn't share. Mm -hmm. Like how do you find inside people? I'm curious to know who I the second person you're talking about. No, is. I, I should have written the name down because I didn't That's think okay. you'd ask. But um, I, we're I'm, talking I'm, about I'm... trauma in this episode. I mean, uh, which episode is it? 
<laughs> but I talk about trauma in so many episodes. Yeah, I, I, I know, I but know. But it was probably but... Steve, I'm guessing. Because we probably. did go pretty deep. He was yeah. actually someone I was dating at the time. And oh, okay. Yeah. So Yeah, I remember one of the things that really stood out for me was how you were handling past relationships and making space for the person. And one of the things you actually said was like... um you know, you realize that you were kind of suffocating the person when mm. you should just let the person be. And that was one of the things that uh, really stopped me. Okay, so maybe that was actually with another partner who interviewed me for my 40th birthday episode. And one of the questions was about like, what would I, you know, what have I learned from past relationships that I'm kind of bringing into present day ones? So yeah, that was, um, yeah, I guess that was pretty vulnerable to say, like, call myself out on my own shit, basically, right? It's like, mm. but that is the process, at least part of the process in this so-called trauma healing work of mine, where it's like, there has been enormous hurts that I've been through, ways that I've been harmed, traumatized, etc. And mm -hmm. also the sort of like ways that I adapted to those traumas, it, you know, get, you know, developing these sort of protective mechanisms, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the best that we can do at the time to shield ourselves from those hurts. But over time, as we sort of stay stuck in those patterns, we can end up causing harm in our own relationships or to ourselves, mm -hmm. creating more disconnection, acting out in certain ways, you know, being very sort of disconnected. And so I guess one of my big things in this healing journey is not only to heal the things that I was never sort of validated for, you know, whether it's my anger or grief, et cetera, and also taking responsibility for the ways that over time I have, you know, maybe made it unsafe for my partner to feel like they can be themselves, right? Mm. Or the ways that maybe my anxiety would creep into relationships and then I would be very like controlling or, you know, very like suffocating, right? So um, I think both are important, you know, and, and the second thing is not to, in, to be in a sort of self-shaming way. But it's there's actually empowerment in it because I think a lot of the times when we're in the, these protective mechanisms, it's like we're not really acting from a place of agency or self-empowerment, right? We're just acting, operating from a place of our well-worn, unconscious patterns. And, mm. you know, to come out of that, I think really gives us more choice and how do we really want to respond? What is going to be actually the more nourishing path for us and in mm. this relationship so yeah, that's been a big part of it. And and I can definitely own up to the things that I needed to like confront myself about. Mm, mm. Um and well, okay, so wow, I wouldn't even imagine having a partner ask me questions. So how do you prepare <laughs> yourself for something like that? Having a partner mm. ask you questions about whatever they want to ask about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so for that particular episode, um, we did have a bunch of questions sort of in advance because I reached out to my Instagram followers. I'm like, hey, I'm doing this episode. My partner's going to interview me. What do you want to know? So a lot of those questions were sort of fielded from them. And then, mm. yeah, he came up with a few of him, uh, you know, of his own. But I guess I just trusted that there wasn't going to be anything way out of left field and also mm. you know i added my podcast so everybody <laughs> didn't want to <laughs> nope that one is not coming yeah. up <laughs> but you, you know, know like i am pretty vulnerable and open and um there are certain topics though that i don't really go into as much mm. as i do share a lot there are certain things that you know for privacy purposes for my family let's say for example you know like i won't touch it 
um, things that I'm in process of and I haven't fully come to a place even internally in myself that mm-hmm. I feel okay to then share it with the world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just checking in with myself to see, mm, am I going to have a vulnerability hangover with this, you know, tomorrow um, or when I publish this? And I think so far, like, I've been uh, good with everything that I've put out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, that's great. I can... Uh... I can picture that. Um, And before we get to the episodes you talk about yourself, I'm just going to go on a tangent to a very different topic. It might be, Mm. it's not something you're doing now at the moment, but, you know, while reading up on you and checking out your website, you were like leaving off grid, not off grid, but in a farm for a while. Why? How was that experience (laughs) for you? Yeah, it was. It was an amazing growth experience, personal growth experience. And um, I've always loved nature so much. Like I grew up in the city in what I call the concrete jungle. I'm in Toronto. So um, that was hard for me, especially when I was younger, because I really didn't resonate with the big city life. Um, And I just am the happiest when I'm surrounded by nature and the trees and it's quiet and there's just this energy that is very hard to access here Mm. in the city. And so I left Toronto. I left my first career as a researcher in the criminal justice field, working like the Monday to Friday, nine to five in an office. And um, I just wanted to go and live more of my life in nature. I wanted to go travel, which I also love work remotely, try out this freelancing thing. But the first thing I did in that transition was go move to my friend's farm. And I stayed there for about eight months uh, just to kind of shift because I didn't really know what the heck I was doing. And it just felt like a good place that I felt like at home in. Um, Mm. And I worked with the animals every day. I was, you know, working on my website, Nature Immersed, um, a blog that I I wrote uh, a few years ago. And I was just sort of doing a lot of internal work. I started working with a life coach, Ivy LeClaire, who was amazing, a great start to sort of my so-called spiritual development. And um, yeah, it was it was just such an adventure. And I've written a lot about it on that blog. So uh, you know, people can check that out if they're if they're curious what it's like to live on a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fast forward to when the pandemic happened, I was in the city for a few months, just in a condo subletting, and then I had enough of it. And uh, my farmer friend invited me back to the farm, so I moved there, and I was there for about a year over the pandemic, um, and in a tiny cabin. And um, yeah, and then I moved back here last winter. And decided it was time to close that chapter, um, living on the farm, which was like a pretty big deal to come back to the city and commit Mm -hmm. to being here, living downtown again. But it's different now. I think so much of the trauma healing work that I've done has actually helped me to be back in this environment, but just Mm -hmm. not feel super overwhelmed in my body when I'm kind of walking around and stuff. And as you know, like I've started training to become a therapist, uh, which is a five-year part-time program here it's in person so i've committed to being here for a while (laughs) Um, but it's great to have that as a sort of reason to uh settle back in because i'm loving the program a lot no that's great okay so one thing that comes out is trauma and healing and the process for you 
um, it's one thing to know, okay, I'm dealing with this. And another thing to actually reach out for help or to decide to do this work you're doing. Yeah. Was there a particular trigger or catalyst, catalyst for you to decide to go on this journey? Yeah, definitely. I've talked about this on my podcast in a couple episodes, but when I was in Vancouver, I lived there for a couple years. I was in a relationship and um, I, I got triggered by certain things that I had been triggered about like in my 20s, even in high school. And I thought that those things were sort of past me because I was in an eight-year relationship before that where I was quite secure. Um, but then it was like, all of this anxiety was coming back up for me. And I was like, wow, like it just showed me that there was something very deeply unresolved um, mm -hmm. that it was coming up for me again. And it felt very familiar. I knew that it, my reaction was very disproportionate to mm -hmm. the actual thing that was happening with him. And so it just started me down this rabbit hole of like, what's going on? And I didn't know even what trauma meant, but like, I, I felt this like abandonment wound getting stirred up. So I'm there Googling abandonment wound. And then I come across like attachment trauma, attachment styles, as many people probably know about and realized, oh, wow, my experience really fits with this anxious attachment style. Then I start going down that rabbit hole and learn about developmental trauma and complex trauma. I'm like, oh, my God, this explains like so much. And mm. it was both very overwhelming <laughs> because I was just diving into all this education all at once. Mm. really connecting the dots with so many of my past painful experiences. Mm. Um, so that was a lot. And as I've said in my podcast before, like I really encourage people if they're doing this work to kind of go in slow, you know, really take your time, pace yourself because it can be quite overwhelming at first. And also on top of that, though, it was very relieving. It was like, I think just reduced a lot of the shame I felt around mm. feeling broken, feeling dysfunctional. It was like it gave this very logical explanation as to why I am the way that I am, right? And why I would react to certain situations that felt so illogical. Um, and there was a very reasonable explanation for it, right? And there was an opportunity now for me to actually do something about it in mm. the direction that was going to be more effective than whatever I had been doing up to that point. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so... Different people process things differently. Yeah. And, you know, when you get to that point where you're like, okay, this is what I need. This is what I need to do for myself. Um, usually it's kind of walled in. You know, I'm building this firewall and I'm doing this work. And I might tell one or two friends or family or at least someone I'm close to. Uh, you are not taking that approach. At least it's your name. I am telling the whole world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why? Mm -hmm. So why is because I've realized over my many years that we are all going through the same shit, like really and truly. Um, of course, certain people have, you know, unique experiences of their own, certain groups in our culture go through, you know, certain forms of oppression while others don't have that specific experience, et cetera, et cetera. However, I think just the human experience is that we've all experienced some form of trauma um, in our lives. There are very common, you know, sort of 
ways that we process it or like these defensive mechanisms or protective adaptations to trauma can be quite similar across many different people. Um, and a lot of us have repressed or, you know, kind of exiled certain emotions that we see as bad, like whether it's sadness or anger. Um, and I think a lot of us have experienced shame or continue to experience shame around ways of feeling that we've learned are not acceptable, right? And mm. so I think that people tell me a lot of things, right? Like I'm somebody who I feel people open up to a lot and very quickly. So when I've heard so many people's experiences across so many different years and different types of people in different situations, it's mm. like there's so much commonality there in terms of our human experience, in mm. terms of our suffering in terms of our challenges and also our hopes and our dreams and the things that we long for and want, you know, so much of that being around connection, so mm. much of that being around just being heard, being able to show up as ourselves. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people haven't really experienced that as well. And anyway, so back to your question, though, I want to share that primarily to help people feel less alone, as cliche as that sounds. But I do think it's important to, you know, and especially because a lot of people, I think when they sort of just see my, let's say, Instagram page, like on a surface level, it seems that I'm doing, you know, oftentimes a lot of these exciting things. I'm going traveling and I'm, you know, doing this in my work or whatever. Um, I might look very put together. And in many ways, I feel like I'm a very grounded person, but it's like there are so many layers. There's so much history there that a lot of people can't see. And I think, you know, everybody sort of presents themselves in this way <laughs> to some degree mm -hmm. of like they're putting their mm -hmm. best foot forward. And it's like, can we just be like a little bit real here that we're all struggling in our own ways as well, as well. Mm -hmm. And um, just to kind of like reduce some of the shame around that, you know, normalize the conversation to talk about things like, you know, whether it's therapy or going through some sort of addiction. For me, I talk about alcohol dependency, which I've been alcohol free now for almost three years. But, you know, I talk a lot about my experience with that, you know, the, the challenges we go through in relationships and with sex and with like whatever. So, um, yeah, it's just important for me to be like, hey, we can have this conversation as hard and uncomfortable as it is. And mm -hmm. then for me to also be able to share, here's maybe some thoughts of what's helped me on this journey. It's not to say you do this too, or this is what works, period, but just to open up some potentially new perspectives of things that people can get curious about and mm. maybe go down their own sort of journey or rabbit hole with that. Wow. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> it makes total sense why you would do that. But, um, you know, it's one thing sharing as much yeah. as you share, which you do a lot, but now you're taking it even a step further uh, by studying therapy, like, why do you want to be a therapist? Mm, yeah, so I think I just got to the point where I did feel a lot more confident that I could now be that person, of course, with like five years of training, <laughs> be that person um, that my therapist has been to me for the past few years um, to somebody else who may be going through their own challenges. Um, I have experienced so much healing and growth and transformation being in a relationship with my current therapist. She is absolutely incredible. Mm. And just seeing the way that she approaches therapy with me, sorry, um, it's just different from other therapists that I've had before 
who usually would take a very like cognitive approach, very intellectual, um, kind of analyzing the situation. Here's your homework here, like maybe some steps to do, right? And for her, it's so much more relational. Um, she's really taught me to kind of turn inward into my body, what's happening inside, what are these sensations, these emotions, and helping me to be with some pretty heavy stuff, some pretty painful things, but in a way that's in this sort of safe container that she we've co-created, but she's really helped to build um, where I can finally be with, as I was saying, these exiled or repressed emotions or parts of myself that are now allowed to be here. They're allowed to be in this space finally. And they finally feel heard. They feel seen. They feel loved. They feel cared for. And through that experience with her, I've really learned how I can do that for myself. So whenever these parts of me are coming up now, which they, of course, sometimes do, um, I can now be that sort of grounded, attuned, loving, adult Janice self for sometimes these like child parts that still continuously get activated every now and then and mm -hmm. be able to speak with them and kind of bring this sort of loving energy to that space, which I could never have done before until I experienced that with my therapist. So I'd mm -hmm. love to do that for other people who, you know, maybe, maybe missing that in their lives. It's a heavy commitment in five years. How are you going to, how has it been so far and what are you looking for the next couple of years of doing this uh, work? Yeah, um, it's been amazing so far. I've already grown and learned so much and it's only been about four months and it's a part-time program. So, you know, working full-time and doing school, it, it can be a lot, but it being part-time makes it a little bit more manageable. It's also very experiential. So it's less like when I was doing my master's of criminology, it's like, it's very academic, lots of readings, lots of assignments and writing for this. It's less of that. And it's more of like when we're in class, we are constantly working together with our classmates in the big group with the teacher. And so that is really exciting. Um, mm -hmm. but it also takes a lot of pressure off kind of outside of class. I'm not always there like doing assignments and things like that. Um, but that being said, it can be very emotionally uh, draining, not in a toxic way, but just there's always constant emotional processing because you're actually doing the work all the time. And um, I mean, I guess that's why I've grown so much, but also <laughs> it's really taught me how much I've had to take care of myself outside of class. And I mean, also during class, how much I need to have people in my life who really support me, who can be a very like supportive, secure, safe environment for me to kind of land in when I'm going through a lot uh, with mm. training. And yeah, just to remember to take a lot of space for myself. I am someone who needs a lot of my own time and to really prioritize taking care of my body, of my spiritual and emotional self as well. So yeah, I'm looking forward to what's coming up because so far I'm loving it. It's amazing. It's exactly what I wanted to train to become a therapist. Mm. Um, I also am at the same time wanting to explore decolonizing therapy. I talk about this on my Instagram account at Janice O Counseling where, you know, I recognize that the way that the mental health sort of like institution is set up in this Western culture can actually create harm in certain ways for people, right? And so learning as well, how can I make my practice such that it creates 
the least harm possible, whether it's weaving in anti-oppressive practices, um, you know, and here's the thing. It's like if I, if a few years down the road while I'm doing this exploration, I realize that being a therapist is actually not in alignment with my values enough to do it, then I won't do it. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, I really want to think about um, how can I, if I'm going to be a therapist, make it so that it's, you know, it's it's a welcoming space for people who have gone through, let's say, racialized trauma, you know, um, making it accessible for more accessible uh, for people because therapy is very expensive and it is a privilege, absolutely, to be able to access it. What are some ways that we can level the playing field at least a bit. Um, and then I also think about how when I am a therapist, yes, I want to be doing this one-on-one -on -one work, but that's still very reactive. It's still after people have already been traumatized, right? Mm -hmm. And now are having to heal and work through these things. Mm -hmm. I do very much believe in getting upstream. Um, this was definitely a huge thing for me when I was a researcher in the criminal justice field, um, where we're talking about like, what? how can we prevent these things? Because we know so much about what creates these conditions, what leads people to um, you know, experience trauma or more broadly go through sort of systemic inequalities, what creates poverty, what creates these, you know, unequal opportunities for people. So what can we do to get more upstream in that? And I would love that when I am a therapist in that position um, to kind of be more doing work in that um, area as well. Wow. That is... Uh... That is beautiful, <laughs> that actually. Is, uh, the grand that is a plan. lot, but it's also really beautiful. <laughs> um, you mentioned something that brought something to mind. You know, earlier on, you talked about COVID, um, but you also talked about racialized trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mind, I kind of have this pinball brain, and it just, you know, that's okay. I love it. I love it. <laughs> was let's dinging, go and I'm thinking, <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> um, so especially when he started, like there was this a lot of actual physical violence against Asian people. Yeah. And then he kind of eased off, but it didn't really go away. Mm -hmm. um, and then Lunar New Year was just a couple of days ago and in the U.S., and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but um, in the U.S., there was this attack, like, specifically against Asian people. Yeah. To you, how do you process that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's... I don't think I have fully processed it yet. And there's been so many of these things that have been happening. I mean, forever, let's be real. But um, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Um, when that happened, when I heard about it, and also just for a little bit more context, in terms of uh, Lunar New Year, Korean New Year, it was also bringing up a lot for me just in terms of my own personal experiences with family so there was already a lot coming up for me where like I actually had a big sob, you know, yesterday um, after going to Koreatown, I picked up some food. Um, I haven't been able to eat with my family for a long time because of COVID. They're very much still um, in their social bubble, which is totally understandable because, you know, my my dad especially has a lot of health issues. But it brought up a lot of grief for me. And then hearing about the shootings where 10 people um, were murdered in this like Lunar New Year celebration was, yeah, absolutely devastating. But I can I can sense that I haven't fully allowed myself to go into all of it just yet mm. because it was just 
so jarring to see that in the news when it's like also one of our biggest celebrations, right? Mm. So I could feel in that moment that I was feeling sad about it. And then also this protective part that came up and was like, mm, not ready to go into that yet, which is fine, which is fine, right? Like I know that I always will eventually come to the place where I access the feelings of grief and anger that I know are there underneath the surface. Mm. And I think that might have been part of what came out when I was in my tears and in this like immense grief that was a mix of like missing my family and this thing that happened with the murders. Um, and also when I think about these really big things, tragic things that have been happening time and time again, not just with the Asian community, with the black community as well, um, indigenous community, that I really need to allow myself to be in a space where I can grieve about it. And oftentimes, you know, finding communal spaces because there is so much emotional charge behind these really huge, huge things that have context, you know, of like hundreds and hundreds of years sometimes, right? Mm. And so one thing I've really learned about grieving, and it's unfortunate that we don't really have a lot of communal spaces to grieve in, especially in, you know, Toronto or Western culture. But there are certain online spaces that I have found where there's an opportunity for that. And so where I can, it's like bringing myself there so that I can cry and grieve and rage and, you know, heal with others who are feeling the same things mm. and whatnot. So I think that there is so much trauma that's happening in the world that is so much for us to process. Mm. We're not meant to process this much, um, but we're, const we're constantly confronted with it, right? And so I think I'm okay with sometimes taking the pause, like bookmarking it. I don't have the capacity right now to feel everything about this. Mm. When I'm ready, when I have that safe space to do that, then I will because I know that it's important. It's important to be able to release what's there and also, you know, grieving to make space for, um, you know, whatever, connection, love, joy, the things that I feel get blocked out when we sort of harden our hearts because we're not allowing ourselves to be in that, but also to let those things out so that we can also be still in grounded anger because I mm -hmm. think that anger is like still really important in order to mobilize us to continue doing the work to, you know, whether it's our anti-racism practices or whatnot um, to make this world, I mean, I was going to say a better place, but <laughs> I had to stop myself because it just sounds too corny, but you know what I mean, right? It's mm. like a lot of times I think we can just collapse under the weight of all of this, but to be able to move through these very, very heavy emotions, mm -hmm. I think allows us to come into a little bit more of a grounded place where we're, we're not saying like, don't be angry anymore, like fucking be angry, right? There's a lot to be angry about, mm -hmm. but in a way that we can actually mobilize it and keep going on and not collapse in it, not shut down in it because otherwise, like, how are we going to survive all of this? You know, like how? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just doing my best mm. to live my life and just make it in my own individual space. But then also thinking about the collective, how can I continue to both like take care of myself, but mm. also, you know, still be in the fight as well. Wow. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. And um, I mean, it's it's good to know what you have the capacity for and when you have capacity for what you need to do. So yeah. again, thanks for sharing that.
Um, yeah, I love your podcast. I was saying, and two of the episodes that stand out was the one with the guy and the one with the professor. Yeah, so sex, (laughs) sex isn't something. I mean, sex lately, I guess. I mean, there's always that cultural barrier first, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I can't speak for you as an Asian person, but you know, there are things you just don't speak about, even though, I mean, how did I come here? You know, I didn't just drop from the (laughs) sky. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. So how did you get to this stage where you are so comfortable sharing, talking about your, um, talking about sex, just sex in general. And BDSM. (laughs) And that too. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it just goes with everything else that I've been talking about that. I know that it's not shameful. Like, I know that we all, you know, think about it. Many of us engage in it. Uh, many of us really like it. Um, I think it is a very, it's very much a human sort of like need. Um, I also know that some people don't feel they need that. And that's cool, too. But mm. You know, for me, I am a very sexual person, and I think there has definitely been so much conditioning about why that is shameful, why I shouldn't be too much of this or that, right? But more more than that, where I am now anyways, I really embrace the fact that this is just a normal thing to talk about. It's a normal thing to desire. And the more that I learn about, even within the realm of sex, the different mm. kinds of things people like, you know, and enjoy that might seem like, whoa, like, why, <laughs> why that? Like, why would, for example, for me, it was just, I could not wrap my head around, why would anyone want to be a slave? You know, like this sort of slave master dynamic. Mm. But I was like, okay, but people are doing it, you know, and let me learn more about it. So I went down this like rabbit hole of just learn, just to learn, right? That was even with polyamory before I started practicing polyamory myself. I could not wrap my brain around how someone could be in that dynamic and be okay with it. Because I used to be a very, very jealous person when I was in exclusive relationships. And it's funny now when I when I tell people, oh, I practice polyamory, they're like, oh, I couldn't do that. I get so jealous. And I'm like, first off, jealousy still exists in polyamorous relationships. <laughs> and secondly, it's like, yeah, so was I. But it's like learning how to now deal with the jealousy if it comes up um, Mm. in a different way than maybe people normally might in an exclusive relationship, right? Mm. So, um, sorry, I totally lost track of your initial question. No, no, no. How do you? How do I talk about it? Yeah, yeah. I just think it's it's you know it's not a it's not a shameful thing. I think a lot of people um, learn that it's shameful. But again, normalizing the conversation, talking about the things that I think a lot of people wonder about or maybe talk about in private, maybe don't talk about at all because they think, oh, nobody, you know, people would think I'm weird or whatever like that. Mm, And it's mm. like, no, you're not. No, you're not. So here, I'll have the conversation. (laughs) 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 <laughs> um yeah no you kind of blended um both bdsm and poly in this answer you gave how was how's that journey been for you which mm. came first i know you said you were just going down this rabbit hole but like yeah. how did it happen for you yeah so i've been practicing solo polyamory specifically since two summers ago And uh, it wasn't anything like super intentional. I just started dating somebody who was in that space and it 
sort of propelled me to learn more about it because I really liked him and I was like fine that he was in an open marriage and um, but, you know, I was like curious about just learning more. What are some things that I, you know, might want to like look out for or just be like educated about? And as soon as I started learning more about what polyamory even was, I was like, oh, wow, this actually really resonates with me, especially solo polyamory where I don't have a primary partner. Um, and there were just a lot of values inherent in polyamorous relationships and, and consensual non-monogamy in general, which is more of like the umbrella term. Um Things like transparency, like communic open communication. I have been in consensual non-monogamous relationships before in between two exclusive relationships where I felt that was quite easy for me to do, like see multiple people. Um, but that was a little bit more of just like more sexually based, not bringing in the emotions and things like that. But it was very easy for me to be very transparent with them, to let them know, hey, here's my situation. Here's the mm. boundaries, right? And are my boundaries. Um, just talking very openly about safe sex with other partners and just having great connections with these people, but it not having to be like they're the only one and this has to be more or that kind of thing. Mm. And so you know, practicing polyamory now is a little bit different because I am introducing that sort of like emotional romantic connection. I'm allowing it to be there if it wants to be there with a particular partner. Mm. And that has been very fulfilling for me. Like I have found that that is something that aligns a lot with, you know, the fact that I've always felt that I'm someone who can love multiple people at the same time or that I can love multiple people, multiple people like across my life, but never necessarily be with like one of them forever. Mm. And I'm not opposed to the idea of being with a certain person, like indefinitely, I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, but I also am really enjoying being able to just explore however I want to explore. If I meet somebody and I'm like, oh, I really like you. Mm. I can go down that road. I'm not road. I'm not restricted by, oh no, I, I'm not allowed to, you know what I mean? Um, so this is just where I'm at right now. And I really can only sort of live my life based on what is honest for me in the present moment? What do I have mm. the capacity for as well? What do I have the desire for? And this is just what is authentic for me at the moment. And if that changes down the road, I always give myself permission to follow that new, honest, authentic path. But mm. yeah, so far I'm loving it. And it has been through this particular journey that I have learned more about BDSM. It's not something, by the way, that is like always part of my sort of like sexual life or dating life. But it is something that I've sort of experimented with a little bit more. Mm. And it's been, yeah, an interesting, interesting exploration to go down, you know, whether it, I'm the one who is, is in the more submissive role or sometimes actually being in the more dominant role to just explore these different parts of myself. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm a very moody person, so it kind of depends on like, <laughs> how I'm feeling at any given right. moment, um, you know, whether that's something that I want to engage in or not, yeah. right? Whether it's something that I feel sa emotionally safe to be in, depending on the partner, depending mm. on the day, you know, like, so, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned being a moody person and like letting <laughs> the mood decide and also... Um, I guess always giving yourself the permission to, you know, this is not working for me or I just want to try this and see how I feel. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is, you know, being Asian. Like, mm -hmm. do you ever have this, like, uh, you are going to be seen as this token or like, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Asian like fetishization. Like a fetish itself? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is a very real thing. Um, and it does come up a lot for me in terms of that fear of like, mm, is this person really seeing me as a human being, you know? <laughs> is this person really approaching me with curiosity and an openness and wanting to know that I'm a very, very complex person who does not fit a fucking mold. Like, I just don't. I'm, I'm not even saying that to be defensive. It's true. Like, I know mm. it is, right? And so it's like, are you really interested in getting to know that? Like, are you or are you coming in with just this very narrow perception mm. of what you think I am, what you think I'm like, what you think I'm like in bed, you know, um, based on just what I look like, you know, because... I can imagine that just looking at me brings up a lot of ideas, a lot of biases in people's minds. And if a man who is like engaging with me, maybe wants to date me, um, is stuck in that very narrow mindset, I will feel it. Mm. I will feel it in their approach and in their energy and in the way that maybe I will feel objectified or tokenized, right? And so I do think about that a lot. And um, yeah, whether it, whether it has to do exactly with BDSM or otherwise, just in general, in being in a relationship in general, um, I think this is something that is really important for me to feel safe in this way with somebody. Mm. And this is maybe a little bit more of a recent kind of like realization, but I do want somebody that I'm with to really understand the kind of power dynamics that are involved um, being with me with someone who is both Asian and a woman, right? So I think with like men in general, and going back to that episode with Steve, who I, you know, we were talking about trauma, but we were also talking about um, just him kind of knowing that there are these power dynamics and it really helped when I was having a little bit of like trouble with, not trouble, but like I was having a situation mm. with him around sex where I was like, hey, like this is coming up for me. And I felt like, I, I sort of went a little too fast. Like, can we just slow this down right now? To be able to have that conversation with a man, like, honestly, not every man can can listen to that and actually understand because they've done some, I don't know, education. They've done their own, like, their own work in terms of, of those things um, to come at it from a place of support and care mm. and understanding, right, as much as a man can understand. Same thing with being Asian. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Same thing with being Asian, right? There is yeah. an inherent parent dynamic, for example, with me being with a white person, right? And so, you know, it is important for me. I'm increasingly understanding this for myself that I would want somebody like that to be doing some of their own work so that mm. they understand what they're bringing into the dynamic, right? In ways that are very, very unconscious, a lot of the times, unless you're doing that very conscious exploration to understand the ways that you show up mm. and the ways that I feel that because of my very deep trauma around right, racialized trauma, around misogyny, around, you know, patriarchy and, and all of the things. Mm. So, you know, that is always a work in progress. That's, you know, something that, uh, you know, takes a lifetime for all of us to do that work. But um, I think that going forward, that's something that's kind of a non-negotiable for me now um, in dating somebody, you know, um, because it, it really has an impact. And I've gone through situations where I've been triggered um, mm. sometimes during sex where shit comes up for me. And it's very painful to mm. um, to have to experience that. 
And then to not really feel necessarily that that person can hold space for it or be that person to support, and, you know, and not get like defensive about it or be like, well, what's your problem? Or like, I'm not doing anything. But to understand that there's so many deep layers that go past generations of why, you know, these things can come up for for me as an Asian woman. Mm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, no you problem. mentioned safety. Um, but something that comes to mind is you do so much, right? You know, you we've not talked about your singing, about your TikTok, <laughs> but I think we need a part two. Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you do all these things, and then you have your day job, and then you have the podcast and stuff. How do you make your like what's your time management process mm. like? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm on a break with the podcast, um, which is because you know, I was starting school in September, so I wanted to wrap up season three before that. I knew it was. I really needed to focus on that and work. Um, so I'm on a break. I did just record, though, a special episode with a friend um, that's going to get released. Part one will be released this week, um, which is really exciting because I'm talking a lot about integrating all of this sort of self-development therapy work into mm. everyday life and relationships when it's really hard to access, you know, the awareness and the grounding and all the tools and things. Mm. Um, so we had a great chat about that. So I will be releasing that. Um, and yeah, but in terms of getting into season four, I'm again, just following my intuition, my body. I'm okay. If it takes months to kind of dive back into it. Mm. Um, it really is, like you say, there's, there's too many things that I want to do and that I love and am passionate about. Um, I don't always have time for the singing. I take singing lessons now, so that kind of helps with some consistency and that's really fun. But yeah, you know, the priority right now is school. It's like making money um, and uh, just trying to fit in a lot of, you know, connection time as well. I feel like I've really been making more space for developing great friendships, um, you know, making time for my dating life and all the things, making time for myself, very important as well. Um, and there are many moments where I'm like, I don't have enough hours in the day for sure, <laughs> but <laughs> do you feel the same way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I manage as best as I can. Um, mm. and then there's always things where I'm like, oh, just can I like not have to sleep and, uh, you know, spend the rest of my day filling it in. But hey, you know, we do what we can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We do what we can. Um, okay. Okay. I, I mean, like I said, I need to have you come back, but <laughs> I, 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 I can't let you go without asking this. So I want this to be my last question to you. Mm -hmm. You do all these things, you know, you do all this work, but something I haven't asked is how do you even take care of yourself? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Um, so I am someone who loves spending time with myself. Um, I need to recharge. I am an introvert. Um, so that could sometimes just look like me sitting with my coffee in the morning, nice and quiet and silent, staring out my window, people watching. And um, oh, I can't get into all of this now because we're running out of time. But um, I do this thing called internal family systems therapy where I work with these various parts of myself. So whether it's these vulnerable exiled parts that were repressed and shamed when I was really young and they were traumatized and have a lot of wounding. So for mm. example, my anxious attachment part, my abandonment part, and then working with these protector parts who have been working very hard for my whole life to try and like keep their guard, keep me protected, but they're tired and they need a little break. So it's like really having this compassionate approach to 
uh, relating to these parts, taking care of them. And so lately, when I sit here with my coffee right here where I'm at, like looking out, I imagine that I'm with, you know, one of these parts, like they're my kid. And I actually spend time with them. And it's been really like a beautiful experience. I know for some people, it might seem a little bit, a little bit (laughs) weird, but it's very, very, very beautiful um, to just take care of these parts and say like, I'm here, or just imagine like, I'm almost like their mom. And it's a way to just like, help these parts of me feel less alone, to Mm. feel comforted when they're feeling a little bit sad or things like that. So that's one thing I love to read. I love listening to podcasts. So sometimes it's just me chilling out doing that. I love to light a candle at the end of the night and just sort of come down, decompress. Um, What else? I love to sing. Um, Sometimes I'm just going to be watching a show on, uh, you know, Netflix or whatever. Uh, Lately, I've been getting into like cooking shows (laughs) (laughs) because so much of my life is very like intellectual or I'm always on Um, Mm. I'm doing a lot of emotional processing a lot of thinking analyzing sometimes I have to like force myself to take that mindless break Mm. and just indulge in somebody else's world Um, yeah and you know I wish I had more nature time um, but it's a little bit hard in the city but I do live by the water so it's nice to just kind of go and take a walk sometimes um, by myself and just just be or be with a coffee you know (laughs) okay coffee for sure okay oh (laughs) man you know like i said i'm definitely gonna have you back because there's so many things i need to talk about Yes, yes and um i feel there's never enough time every time i talk to you i was like oh oh when the call when we're done with the call i'm like oh fuck i want to ask this so so yeah i'd love to have you back for sure I would love to be back. Thank you so much. But I wanted to say I appreciate the time. I appreciate you sharing so much. And I can't wait for the next season of The Soul's Work. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait either. I don't know what's going to happen, but <laughs> it's, in, it's brewing. It's brewing. So that means that it's going to happen. You know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Glad to know there's a, a next season coming. And thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary today. Thank you so much for having me. 